A generation of computer users grew up using Microsoft DOS. First introduced in 1981, MS-DOS powered early versions of Microsoft Word and Excel, and eventually Microsoft Windows. But more than a decade later, as Microsoft prepared to phase out DOS with the introduction of Windows 95, some people looked at earlier versions of Windows and said, we're not ready to see DOS go. If Windows 3.1, if that's, if that's what this next version of Windows is going to be, if that's what Windows 4 is going to look like, I, I want nothing to do with that. Jim Hall and a group of volunteers formed a project to create a free and open source alternative to DOS. It's called FreeDOS, and today it can run most of the thousands of programs and games developed to run on DOS during the 80s and 90s. Paul's been working on the operating system in his free time for more than two decades. Some people uh, put model ships together in bottles, and I work on an operating system that was born in 1981. Coming up on the LPX Show, a conversation with FreeDOS founder and coordinator Jim Hall. It's been more than 20 years since Microsoft stopped developing DOS. But Jim Hall says there are still plenty of people running software developed for the platform. We did a survey a couple years ago and tried to find out who are the people actually running uh, FreeDOS. And we find that there are three different types of people that are running FreeDOS today. First, you've got people that are running uh, your classic DOS games. You've got people that are uh, running uh, legacy business software. And you've got other ones that are doing embedded development. So you actually do have quite a number of people today that are running FreeDOS for various things. So there's a lot of software that was written, but just because it's old software doesn't mean that it's not still useful software, I guess, right? Right, yeah, there's there's a lot of, st- and, and there are some, uh, two examples. There was a car company that uh, is using a uh, an old compact laptop running MS-DOS with an application to support uh, some of its car diagnostics. George R. R. Martin, the author of the uh, Game of Thrones book series, uh, writes his uh, manuscript, writes his books on on uh, WordStar running on MS-DOS. So you actually do find people today that, yeah, actually are still running DOS-based systems. Word processors, I think, are a really great example because, sure, Microsoft comes out with a new version of Word every couple of years, but if all you really need is bold and underline and strike through, I mean, that's something that's been around for a really long time. And do you need all the new bells and whistles or could you just use something simple? And especially if you want a distraction-free environment, using something simpler on an older machine might make a lot of sense for writers. And that's exactly it. There's, you know, serious writers talk about they want to have a distraction-free environment. And uh, when George R. R. Martin talked about having his uh, WordStar environment. He said he, he just liked the simplicity of it's just the words on the screen. He is not distracted by you know icons and uh, graphical elements and where the mouse go. And I, I guess he's also happy about the fact that he can't get distracted by flipping over another tab and hitting Facebook or something and uh, kind of distracting him from his writing. So he's, when he's writing, he's really just serious about writing. And and yeah, the, those word processors, uh, they, they get the job done and there's there's nothing wrong with them. I mean, you can write some pretty big stuff in uh, in word processing uh, software, you know, WordPerfect, WordStar, Galaxy Write. Those were programs that certainly I used uh, back in the day. If it works and it gets the job done for what you need to do, then if there's not a need to upgrade it, uh, run FreeDOS, and then you can keep running your uh, your software. It also feels in some ways almost like it's a, it's a history museum. Uh, so there are a lot of great games that were developed over the, the 10 or 15 years when DOS was really prevalent. And uh, this allows people to play those games without necessarily needing a fancy new gaming computer, right? And there are even still levels being made for some of the old games. Uh, there was a level released for Doom that, that I got to play on, on, uh, on Doom for DOS. You know, and so that was kind of a nice throwback. But yeah, you got some of these old games that actually were a, a ton of fun. 
yeah, let's let's take a look back here. So you've been working on this project for for twenty. For you've been working on this project for longer than DOS was a thing. <laughs> and, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it that in that way, but yeah, I guess you're right. So so take me back to to when this all started. Uh, Microsoft was getting ready to basically phase out DOS with Windows ninety five. Uh, all earlier versions of Windows were actually built on top of DOS, which was this text based you know command line interface, and then you could load a graphical user interface on top of it. And they said, with Windows 95, we're going to sort of reverse that script. We're going to have everything built around the graphical user interface. And you can still bring up a DOS-like box if you need to do certain commands. But over time, that's become less and less a part of Windows. What made you decide to sort of carry on the work and, and make your own version of DOS? I think it's kind of important to go back to what did computing look like in the early 90s? I had come from using an Apple IIe from when I was quite young. That's where I learned to program. And then we got a, a PC in the house. We kept upgrading from that in different versions of DOS. And so I got to be very comfortable in DOS. And then uh, I went to college and uh, got exposure to our Unix systems. And then you had uh, Linus Torvalds who released uh, the Linux kernel. And then you had these uh, distributions that popped up. And I, I installed my first Linux in 1993, and I thought it was an amazing thing. I finally didn't have to run to the computer lab, uh, which you actually had to often go there in person because the modem pools were generally not big enough. If you wanted to use the computer systems, you generally have to go back to the computer lab. And now I could run my programs or, or what have you on, uh, on my computer back in my dorm room. But I still use DOS quite a bit. You know, I had uh, uh, spreadsheet software uh, as easy as that, uh, was kind of like one two three, right? It's as easy as one two three, and there was one two three Lotus one two three, so that's kind of the, the thing. So anyway, the uh, I used as easy as uh, to do all my data analysis because I was a physics student, and I'd use Galaxy Write or WordPerfect to write my uh, my class papers. Uh, I was not a Windows fan, uh, and if you remember back then, that would be Windows three one X, three one, and then three eleven. And uh, it didn't look great. I remember. <laughs> Windows 3.1 was, was not beautiful. Oh, right? yeah, you remember yeah. that, right? And it, was, it was clunky yeah. and it would crash all the time. And yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and so you kind of look at it from that perspective as, man, I'd, I'd rather sit in a command line window and, and do my work. I can find myself being much more productive when I need to run my DOS programs uh, rather than do something in Windows. And then Microsoft started putting out these articles or interviews, uh, you know, in the trade magazines that you'd see. And they said, MS-DOS 6, that's the last version, 622. That was, that's the last version of DOS that we're going to have because the next version of Windows will completely do away with DOS. DOS is dead. Uh, you saw a lot of articles that would, that would talk about DOS is dead. And I said, man, if Windows 3.1, if that's, if that's what this next version of Windows is going to be, if that's what Windows 4 is going to look like, I, I want nothing to do with that. And since I'd already been running Linux, which was a free software you know, Unix system, and, and it's a, a multitasking system, uh, just as powerful as the Unix systems we had back in our campus labs, I said, man, if people can build something like that by working together on the internet, why can't we make something... Like DOS, DOS is not as complex as Unix. Uh, DOS is a single tasking uh, system. It's, uh, it's got a very small footprint. It shouldn't be that hard to make. Uh, and I'd already, of course, uh, written a lot of programs, utilities here and there to uh, support my own work. And so I knew that I could write a number of the file-based utilities of my own. 
And so I put out a call. I, you know, Usenet was the way that that we communicated back then. All these different Usenet news groups. Uh, and I put out a uh, a post, and I said, "Is there a new? Is is somebody working on uh, a free version of DOS? I mean, something like Linux, but but DOS." And nobody said yes. <laughs> nobody said uh, that they were. And they said that's. But they, people did say that's an interesting idea. Uh, and so I said, man, somebody should really write one. And then after I talked like that for a week, I'm like, I can be that someone. <laughs> I can, I can write, uh, I can write some stuff. Uh, so I put out a post. What was it like, June 1994? And I said, I, I, uh, I'm announcing an intention to write a uh, a free version of DOS. And very quickly, we had I, I had people contacting me from all over saying, I, I'd like to help out. Or here's this program I've written that that replicates this feature of DOS, but it does a little bit differently or a little bit better. And it started to snowball very, very quickly. We had people that were contributing programs to this free version of DOS, and it just sort of grew from there. And, and, and what were you hoping to accomplish at that point? Were you hoping to sort of carry on the work that Microsoft had started and make it into a new and growing operating system that people could continue to use the way that sort of Linux has with, with Unix-based software? Or were you really just sort of saying, well, if Microsoft's not going to make DOS stick around, then I will. <laughs> and and I'll make sure that these programs sort of have another life. Or is it something else? Am I? Uh, uh, it's not a dichotomy. You don't have just two choices, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think it is more the second one, though. I, th- I think it was more of a, I really don't want to do this new Windows thing because, you know, Windows 3.1 and Windows 2 before that was, it was not great. Um, and I'm like, Microsoft seems to be going in the wrong direction. We're, we're more effective if we can do it do things in DOS. And these DOS applications are very powerful as is. As an undergraduate, I said, I, I, I think Microsoft has taken the short view. <laughs> uh, and so me as, a, as an undergraduate, I said, I, we can do better. And uh, I think with that, with that enthusiasm, I kind of tackled this, this project that, gosh, I, th- I think if I were older, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to do that. But it's a good thing I did because, you know, look at it. It's 2016. We're still, we're still running uh, free DOS and we're still doing new work. But yeah, I think back then it was just a matter of I didn't want to see DOS go away. And I wanted to see what the next version of DOS would be like because I still used it. I was still an undergraduate. I still use DOS every day. And I just didn't I didn't see a need to go to Windows and I wanted to have something more. And you know, honestly, I think there was some of if they can do it with with Linux, you know, basically making a free version of a of a full Unix system. I want to see if we can do it under uh, the same thing for DOS. And we did. Now, now, Microsoft has a reputation for going after companies who infringe on their intellectual property. How did you manage to not, not get sued over the last 25 years? <laughs> We've been very careful not to do anything that sort of taints the operating system. We don't want anything that's going to taint free DOS. If you have uh, any exposure to MS-DOS source code, we, we ask you not, cont- not to contribute to FreeDOS. There have been a couple of leaks over the years uh, where people have claimed that they've released MS-DOS source code. And I, I have no idea if, if it really is or not because I haven't looked at any of it. But whenever there's been news out there of, you know, there's a big leak of MS-DOS 6 source code, we've said, if, if you're contributing to FreeDOS, don't go anywhere near that, that source code. As a whole, the community is, is very understanding that yeah, nobody wants to get sued, uh, and the way that we're going to do that is by, uh, if you've seen the MS-DOS source code, you can't implement uh, for FreeDOS, because we don't want anybody to accuse us of saying, well, that feature only exists because you saw it in 
a source code leak from MS-DOS or, you know, they released the source code to MS-DOS 1 and 2, I think. And then we said, even, even that old version, we don't want to have anything to do with it. It's interesting that they released that, but we've done a whole bunch of different stuff anyway. So it's sort of like a little firewall. So basically what you've done is, is uh, what we call reverse engineering, right? You, you've looked at it and said, we know what programs can run on it. So we need to figure out how to make an operating system that will run those same programs without just duplicating their source code. Right. And Pat Villani, who uh, wrote our kernel, which has been obviously maintained by other people as well, he did embedded development originally. And he found that it was easier to do development under DOS and then deploy to an embedded environment. And then he found that if I can do that, why don't I just create some small DOS-like kernel that I can run in the embedded system? And that's what he did. He he wrote a... uh, uh, a little kernel for embedded systems. Uh, I think it was 68K systems. He called that DOS NT. And then he built on that, but it was his own creation. And then when the FreeDOS project started, it was around the same time that Pat said, I, I want to see if somebody else wants it. And so, yeah, we got together and, and that's how the, we got the kernel. And it was exactly as you say, it was sort of reverse engineering. He knew what calls uh, applications were making into DOS. He knew what the call needed to return and what that call needed to look like. And so he wrote a kernel that did that. He did it based on documentation of this is what it's asking for and this is what it needs to return. And then he wrote a system that did that. I doubt it's anything similar on the internal side, but uh, at least from the outside, it, it, it works the way that uh, MS-DOS systems work. So today, pretty much anything that you could run on MS-DOS, you can run on FreeDOS. How long did it take you to get to that point? I remember we were very careful about calling ourselves FreeDOS 1.0, and we probably are have set the record of any open source free software uh, project from initiation to the time that we went live uh, with a 1.0 version. Because we said our 1.0 version, we, we knew that if we released something as 1.0 and it didn't run MS-DOS programs, if it had a whole bunch of MS-DOS programs, it just broke people would say that's not really 1.0, right? Um, and so it, it did take us a long time. You know, we, we started the project in 1994. We had a lot of alphas. We had a lot of betas. We had a lot of, uh, when we got to beta nine, we started to crawl our way uh, inch by inch to 1.0. And we had these pre-releases of, of beta nine. And then we had beta nine. And then we had some updates to beta nine, update one, update two. Uh, And then uh, finally in 2006, uh, we released uh, FreeDOS 1.0. Certainly before that, you were able to run most, uh, maybe all MS-DOS programs on FreeDOS. But uh, it was really, I think in that beta nine cycle uh, somewhere is really when I would say that finally FreeDOS could do all the stuff that uh, that MS-DOS uh, could do. And it, and it probably helps that it wasn't actually a moving target by that point. <laughs> when you started, it was when Microsoft stopped. So you could say, we're taking this time to, you know, do it. So, so when I look at something like React OS, which is a project mm-hmm. to essentially be a Windows compatible operating system, yep. you know, Poor, poor developers, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they started trying to make something compatible with Windows NT or Windows 2000, and Microsoft kept coming out with new versions of Windows. So now Windows 8 and Windows 10 doesn't look anything like what they're still trying to develop uh, at React OS. And and Wine's in the same situation. You know, Wine is a a Windows emulator that runs on Linux, and it basically provides translation from 
what a Windows call would be and makes it uh, happen on, on a Linux system. And it's the same thing for them too. I, I, it's a moving target. You know, a new version of Windows comes out and, and suddenly you have to uh, kind of update. Uh, the target has moved. But yeah, it certainly helps that, you know, MS DOS 6.2.2 came out and that was really the last version of DOS that came out. But yeah, it, it, it certainly DOS hadn't changed in a long time. And so you knew that if we implement this feature, it's not going to suddenly change on you. It's something that we can just make work and, and there we go, we're done. Now that said, you haven't stopped. You've still been working on it for the last 10 years. What's, what's development like now? Is it trying to make sure that it can still run on the latest hardware or tweaking things or creating new utilities? Or what, what are you working on these days? So we released a 1.0 and then we released a 1.1. And then after 1.1, we were like, so what, what does FreeDOS look like? I mean, we can keep releasing a 1.2 or 1.3 that's really just updates of utilities. Uh, the kernel, I don't even think, has has updated uh, really, except maybe like a bug fix here and there. And so we were sort of asking ourselves, what does the next version of FreeDOS really look like? Are we just going to keep releasing updates to the utilities or are we going to do something different? And for a while, I actually did argue that maybe we should make FreeDOS sort of a modern DOS. And I even went through this mental exercise of what would a modern DOS look like? If Microsoft hadn't gone the Windows route, or at least if they hadn't killed off the DOS product, and they'd kept DOS as, a, as an operating system, and it had been updated over the years, what would that DOS operating system look like in 2016? And it looks quite a lot like Linux, actually. Uh, when you go through that thought exercise, it looks a lot like Linux. You know, certainly you have to have uh, multitasking and you know, different memory models and things like that. Uh, but the challenge really became you can't break application compatibility. Free DOS is DOS. The joy of, of a DOS-based system is that if you have a DOS application, it always will run on DOS. Uh, and so a modern DOS had to keep application compatibility. If we were going to modernize DOS, it, it couldn't be not DOS compatible. And, and we've, we've actually had other people that have tried to come in and say, actually, I think we can do a DOS 32 version or, you know, something like that. And, and there was a, a group that tried to, to make that work, but I think they ran into that same problem. What happens if you break, you can't break the compatibility of old DOS applications. And somebody else tried to come along and say, maybe we can do a multitasking DOS. And he even went down the road of what if we broke application compatibility and, and tried to build in a compatibility layer and, very quickly, we realized <laughs> what you're doing is you're building a Linux system that has DOS EMU running on it. <laughs> um, and so the next version of DOS really can't be uh, something that doesn't run DOS applications. We are right now releasing or preparing to release a, a FreeDOS 1.2 release. It has a lot of cosmetic changes. We have a new installer that one of our developers, uh, Jerome, wrote. We have uh, updates to the utilities. We're doing some cleanup in what utilities we include and don't include. Uh, but largely, it's, it's really going to be an updated 1.1 release, but it's a much easier installer, a much prettier installer, uh, much simpler install process. By today's standards, I mean, most computers that ship with DOS are really slow. You had five and a quarter or three and a half inch floppy drives, and you had... Uh, processors that were measured in you know double digit megahertz maybe right uh, if that and so yeah. so does that present some challenges like you know if you're playing a game 
uh, using free DOS instead of DOS, do you run the risk of it running at 3,000 frames per second and you're done with the game before you start? Or Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And there are some games that definitely do that. Um, there were some games that did take advantage of the uh, the cycle speed of, of the CPU, and they they really would uh, base their reaction time of the game based on the assumption of how fast the CPU was running. There was a, an old game called Sopwith that was uh, sort of a 2D fly this little biplane around and, and shoot targets on the ground. And that ran great on a uh, on an XT system, but uh, you run on anything faster than about an XT system and everything goes by in the blink of an eye and you crash into a mountain. So it's uh, uh, so and there are other programs that do that. There are a lot of games that do that. And so there's a uh, there's a program uh, I think it's called Slowdown that does nothing but slow your system down so that these games can actually be playable again. There are other ways that you can run DOS programs. You can uh, run DOS Box. You can run you know DOS Emu. You can basically use an emulator within your operating system. So whether you're using Ubuntu or or Windows 10 or OS 10 or something else, there are ways that you can sort of load up an emulator and fire up some of your old programs. Why not just do that? Actually, I recommend that to a number of people, especially if you uh, are new to FreeDOS or at least you're not a somebody who's trying to build an embedded system. Your easiest way to, to run FreeDOS today is is going to be in some sort of emulated environment. DOSEMU is the one that I uh, use under uh, Linux. Uh, QEMU, there's, uh, gosh, what else is there? There's a uh, virtual PC, there's virtual box. That's probably the... The best way today to run a, uh, a DOS system, um, especially if you're new to it, because uh, you know you can run FreeDOS on bare metal, and a lot of people do. Certainly, a lot of the people involved in in FreeDOS do. But uh, if you're if you're coming into FreeDOS, uh, I actually recommend to people find an emulated environment um, and and run it there. So, so what are the advantages to using FreeDOS? Uh, as I said before, you know, running I, I'd say running these these classic DOS games has got to be the number one reason that people continue to run FreeDOS today. Some of these games, these old games, have been, they've had source code releases, and id has been very good about that, uh, releasing uh, source code to, uh, to Doom, and I, I think Hexen, and I think Quake. So you can run them on, a, on Linux, and people have recompiled them to run, uh, you know, on Windows and whatnot. But there are a lot of games that don't, uh, that haven't had those source code releases because they were, uh, the people who, who made them have gone out of business or for whatever reason uh, didn't have the ability or just chose not to make a source code release. And so if you want to run these these, these uh, classic DOS games, FreeDOS is a great way to do it. But as we mentioned, it's not just for games, it's also for business. And when you order the business version of some laptops, you have a choice of getting you know, Windows 7 or Windows 10, because they don't want to force you to get the latest version of Windows. And some of them also offer Ubuntu, but there's also some that'll even offer free DOS as an option. And I don't know if they're doing that just because they're, it's their way of saying it's kind of like having no operating system, or if they actually expect people to buy it and use DOS. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> there are, yeah, these companies do exist. And actually, I, I think Dell still does it. Uh, somebody emailed me, I've been, for a long time, I've been asking people, send me a, a Dell CD if you have one. Uh, because they they include a copy of FreeDOS in the box on a CD, and I'm like, if you have a copy of the CD, please send it to me. But people <laughs> want to hold on to it themselves. So, uh, but somebody did take a picture and send it to me, and it was kind of cool to see a Dell distribution, I guess you'd say, of, of uh, FreeDOS. And so, yeah, you can get different computers out there from different different manufacturers that will include FreeDOS on it. My understanding, 
and I, I never got confirmation from somebody who works directly at Dell to confirm this, but my understanding is they're basically playing a game. Something along the lines of Microsoft says you're forbidden as part of your OEM license to sell any computers that don't have an operating system because they don't want to have Linux out there. And so what are they going to do? Well, they got to, they got to put an operating system on it because people expect to have an operating system on these computers. And so they, uh, they put FreeDOS on there. And, and I, I always thought it was kind of cool, um, but I also am a realist. I don't expect that we were seeing a lot of people buying them because they had FreeDOS loaded. I, I do expect a lot of people were reloading the system with, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, Linux. Probably, probably were taking it off and putting Linux on there. Right. It's their way of saying, I don't want to spend money on a, on a Microsoft product. Uh, I'm not going to use Windows. Why should I spend money for the license? Exactly. But I also know that there were some people that, that did choose to keep DOS running on it. And obviously, those are people that were part of the FreeDOS project. But uh, yeah, absolutely. You had, you had companies that were selling computers that had FreeDOS pre-installed. And, and so it, it, it never bothered you that they weren't working with you on this, that they weren't doing it because they loved FreeDOS. You were just excited that it was happening at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, there were some people that actually were pushing me to say, hey, you should go to these companies and get something bigger happening on these machines. But I'm like, I, I don't, I think it's great what they're doing. I have no expectations that in 2005, that the world is going to suddenly say, uh, we're going to drop the Windows desktop or we're going to drop the, the Linux desktop and go back to DOS. Um, <laughs> I, as, as, as cool as I think that would be, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm happy running a Linux uh, uh, desktop. So I just thought it was great that you had these companies that were doing this really at all. And, and so, so you're the coordinator and the founder of, of FreeDOS. You mentioned you use, you use Linux uh, personally, and I know you contribute to some other products. Do you think, do you think Microsoft was right to move away from DOS? I think that, uh, uh, this would disappoint my my undergraduate self way back then, uh, but I think it was it was right to move off of DOS and move on to something that uh, that could take advantage of of the hardware, and I think that has held out by uh, the popularity of Linux, which uh, has done exactly that. Uh, Windows obviously is very popular. Uh, the the web today it really wouldn't exist if we were running single tasking uh, CPUs. You have to have servers that are capable of doing that. And on the desktop, I, I don't think people would be doing the work that we're doing today without the ability to flip just by hitting Alt-Tab to a different program that's running in your system and was running in the background while you're doing something else. So, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, looking back, it was, it was definitely the right thing to move off of DOS. But at the same time, DOS definitely has a place. You still have, have a need to run DOS in certain situations. And it, and a lot of people are still happy using it. Is anybody using FreeDOS in ways that surprise you? Not recently, but there was a project I thought was really cool. Somebody had made a pinball machine that used embedded FreeDOS. And so it was using FreeDOS to pull inputs from the pinball board. I, I don't know how he did it, but maybe uh, bumpers and things were registering as certain key inputs. Uh, and then he was uh, taking that and displaying on a low resolution screen, a uh, graphical scoreboard. Uh, and I thought that was an extremely interesting uh, use of, of FreeDOS. That was, that was a really cool thing. That got my attention. And, and so that was like a real pinball machine, not a, not a digital 
machine. He was using this to to do the scores on the on the score display. Yeah, correct, correct. I I think he even uh, he sent me a photo. And this was way back when, but I, he, uh, this is probably early two thousand. He sent me a photo of it, and it wasn't some hobby system. It was very clearly a system that was going to go out into arcades um, or bars, at least. I don't think we had arcades back then, but uh, you know, we it was certainly certainly a system that uh, was going to go out professionally. It was there was nothing on there that that made it look like it had DOS inside. It was it was a honest to god actual pinball machine that was very very professional and uh, uh, ready to go. So. Again, we just we touched on this earlier, but what what tools do you use on a daily basis? Clearly, you're not using free DOS for all of your computing. So tell me a little bit about what you use. Yeah, I, I don't use uh, free DOS every day. Uh, I do a lot of stuff on the web, and so um, I, most of the time I'm, I'm in a web browser. I also do our our website uh, for the free DOS project and and some other things here and there that are web related, and. For that, I'm doing it by hand. So I'm actually, if you were to look at my desktop uh, on some average day, when I'm on my my home computer, I'm uh, I'm booting Linux. I'm in the GNOME. Uh, I've got a web browser, usually Chrome, uh, and I've got a uh, a terminal window that's taking up half my screen that I've got logged into uh, whatever server I'm on, and I'm editing things through uh, through VI. So I'm I'm still uh, that that those are kind of the tools that I use. And um, what what flavor of Linux are you using? I run Fedora and uh, GNOME three. And and for listeners who might not be super steeped in this stuff, GNOME is a desktop environment. It's it's sort of like one of many different versions of what Windows is or what OS ten is, which is um, it's a way to interact with applications without firing up a command line, without typing words into a black screen. Um, and it's available yeah, for a that's lot. That's exactly of it. And so would would uh, would nineteen ninety four you be annoyed at yourself for using that? I think 1994 me would be very thrilled to see that I'm I'm running a free software system, uh, that I'm running a Unix-based system, and uh, uh, I'm still being productive. But I think I think 1994 me would be just probably astounded that uh, it doesn't matter really today what system you're running if you're running uh, uh, Linux, Windows, Mac. So much of what we do today is on the web, and uh, you know 1994 me, uh, which was pre-internet, pre-web really would have been amazed that today you can open up a web browser and do your email. You can open up a web browser and write a document in Google Docs. I think 1994, you'd be amazed at how, how technology has changed. So, so at the same time, you know, you're working on these projects, you're working on, on GNOME, you're working on, on FreeDOS. Did you hit version 1.0 of FreeDOS at, at some point and say, okay, I'm done? <laughs> or, you know, why, why are you still doing it after all this time? Um, when, when it already pretty much works? You know, it's something that I just find really interesting. And there have been a couple of times that I thought I'm surprised that it's still going strong and, and how long will it go? And I think uh, in 2010, I probably would have said, I, I, I'd be surprised if there were very many years, if we got to 2015 and we were still uh, doing FreeDOS, but gosh, we, we still are. We're, we're you know, FreeDOS is, is it hits that spot in so many people where they can run these old DOS programs, these classic DOS programs, uh, be they games or desktop applications or what have you. And uh, for some people, it's nostalgia, especially with the games. Uh, and others, it's it's sort of a uh, you know that was that was kind of a really nice tool, and I want to kind of go back and use it again. And I think because you've got these so many people out there that 
have this interest to kind of just see what more can we do with it. I think that's really what keeps it going. The fact that you've got all these people that have uh, the shared interest and want to just want to just want to keep working on it. And, and, and this is something that you do as a hobby, right? Like you, you have a day job, but this is something that you don't, uh, is there, is there any funding for this or is it something that's completely a labor of love? Yeah, this is definitely so far away from my day job and it is, it is a labor of love. There is no funding for it. Uh, we're not even in a, a nonprofit charity. You can't donate to the Freedos project in any way. It's, it's people who come together and uh, it's all really about developers. Like somebody comes along and says, I want to write this program for DOS and go for it, go write that. And then people come out with it and other people use it and think it's cool and they contribute to it as well. It's really a labor of love for myself and so many other people. So some people, you know, they come home after work and they relax and read a book, watch some TV. You work on uh, making applications written 30 years ago, continue to work. Yep. Some people uh, put model ships together in bottles and I work on an operating system that was born in 1981. (laughs) And, um, do you do you ever do you still have time to actually use the applications that run on DOS? Uh, do you have a favorite app or game that uh, that you still use occasionally? I occasionally go back to Doom. I have it for Linux as well, of course. But you know, there's there's something about going back to Doom on a DOS system because that was that was such a a change in how we played games. We you suddenly had this first person game that was 3D and had different uh, vertical levels in it and uh, uh, there's just kind of something about going back to that that defining moment in games and running that. And occasionally, I also, although I, I don't do any any real work in it anymore, I, I occasionally will fire up that as easy as spreadsheet because I relied on that program so much uh, when I was an undergraduate physics student. And it's kind of nice to go back into that program and remind myself it did some really cool things. And I was using a uh, a really great program on a really great platform at that time. And you know, here we are, thirty years later, and you just open up Google Sheets or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Which, which, if you think about it, I mean, you know, we're talking about like server farms that are you know crunching numbers and cranking it out over the internet at speeds that would have been unfathomable to our twenty four hundred baud modem days. So, in some ways, what they were able to do thirty years ago in creating these programs that would fit on a single floppy was kind of mind boggling. And they would fit in 640K. You know, that was the limit that MS-DOS famously has. And yeah, you'd, you'd have these programs that, that could do all this work that would fit in a, in a pretty small footprint. And they were, they were fast. People would, uh, would really squeeze the performance out of any program that they wrote for an MS-DOS system. And so you, you've got these programs that are, are really tight. Uh, they're really fast. And of course, because you didn't have the internet to just download the next patch, you know, we put out 1.0 and there's a bug in it. So we'll release 1.01, download it from the website. You didn't have that option back then. So you really did have to make sure that uh, if you put out a program, be it shareware, commercial software, freeware, whatever you, it had to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember back in the nineties, I've, I've never really developed any strong developer skills, but I was good at copying things read in magazines because you could go out and buy these magazines and then type a page of characters into your yes. computer and suddenly you'd have a program run. And that's something that you, you couldn't fit that all on one or two sheets these days. So. No, no, you couldn't. Yeah, that was back when you had uh, uh, a lot of them were, were basic because uh, you'd run them, uh, the basic programming language for uh, first the Apple II system. And then uh, later you could you could run something on on uh, GW basic or basic A or Q basic on, uh, on MS-DOS systems. And uh, yeah, you could get these basic programs that would 
that would do some some pretty cool stuff. And and I recall that my brother and I taught ourselves to program on our Apple II by leafing through some of these programs that you could get in these magazines and kind of figuring out, oh, that's how they're doing that. And so I'll learn how to do that on my own. And it's a different, it's a different world today. You can't, you can't really fit programs today that, that are going to interest people that are going to compete with uh, a graphical interface. You're not going to write that in the back of a magazine that someone's going to uh, type in. And <laughs> certainly you wouldn't put that in print. You're going to put that on a website that they would copy and paste into something if you're going to do something like that. Right. I mean, nobody even buys magazines anymore. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When's the last time you bought a paper magazine? I, I, it's certainly taken me a long time. Jim Hall is founder and coordinator of the FreeDOS Project. Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Brent. Thanks. You can download FreeDOS or find out more about the project at its website, freedos.org. That's free as in the word free, dos.org. And you can find more information about this podcast or listen to past episodes at our website, lpxshow.com. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play Music, or anywhere else that you find podcasts. And you can help support the show by making a contribution to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash bradlinder. Thanks for listening to LPX. I'm Brad Linder. 